What's up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew West, and as always, I really hope you like it. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you had a wonderful Easter. Did you? I sure hope so. The West family had a wonderful Easter. We took some time off from the brand new tour. As you know, we've been on the road quite a bit, but we took off Easter so that myself, our band members, crew members, other artists could have some time with their family, some much needed time. And I'm so glad we did that. It was so awesome to wake up on Sunday morning with my family, give our daughters a little Easter basket. My wife made this French toast, like this blueberry thing. I'm sure she posted a recipe at on Instagram, but uh, it was so good and so bad for me. But then we we headed to church and with my parents as well, had a wonderful Easter service. The pastor's message featured among many scriptures, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I always call that Satan's three-point plan, three-point plan to mess up your life, right? And uh, he sure tries to do that every single day. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, life abundantly, or life to the full. And one of the questions asked from the stage on Easter Sunday at our church was, are you living up to that level of the life that God has offered you? A great question to be asking, like, am I taking part in life abundantly or am I settling for something less? You guys know my music. I write a lot of songs centered on that. Like, I don't want to go through the motions or I'm going all in, right? Or no regrets, no what ifs. I write a lot of songs with that that heart cry of saying, Lord, don't let me get to the end having settled for something less than life abundantly. So a great scripture to be thinking about here after Easter Sunday, right? We're moving past Easter Sunday, but as a follower of Christ, we know that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, guess what? He is still risen. So we don't have to move past the message of Easter, even when we move past Easter Sunday. Praise God for that. Uh, Let's see. uh, We are, speaking of uh, taking some time off from the tour, we are right back on. The brand new tour is headed to magical places like, let me pull it up actually. Let's see. Um, Pennsylvania on the 21st, Mansfield, Ohio on the 22nd of April, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. That's a private event for 10,000 women at the Women of Joy Conference. Got to give them a shout out. And then uh, April 24th, I'll be back in Grove City, Ohio. And then uh, we're traveling to Pensacola, Florida, Montgomery, Alabama, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We're going to be busy, guys. So go to get your tickets at brandnewtour.com. I believe we have 15 shows left. It's going to take us through the middle of May, and uh, we can't wait. My friends, Kane, uh, the band Kane is joining me, and super excited to have them hit the road with me, as well as my friend Hannah Kerr. So brandnewtour.com. Also, did you know that we launched a special Nashville Christmas weekend? Now, we had to announce it early because people have to make their travel plans. So be sure to join us December 2nd through the 4th. If you've always wanted to come to Music City, if you always wanted to be in Nashville, Franklin is where our family 
loves to be. And uh, we're inviting you to come and hang out with us for a special Christmas weekend at MatthewWest.com. You can find out all of the information. Spaces are limited, and we've already sold uh, almost... We're not sold out yet, but uh, I believe that's capped at like 500 people. So if you and your family want to come and hang out with us for a weekend of special Christmas activities, it's called Come Home for Christmas. We'd love to have you. All right, that's enough for the announcements. Let's get into today's show, which I am super excited about, might I add. My guest today, he is a radio pro who knows how to listen to his interviewer, have a real conversation, and keep an audience riveted. Now, this guy, we go way back. We've been friends for a long time. And usually I'm on the other side of the microphone. He's usually interviewing me. In fact, during today's conversation, we're going to talk about the earliest days of us getting to meet each other. So, But he is a gifted communicator and he's a gifted author and he's got a really important book that on the surface you might think we're stepping into some pretty controversial waters in a world of deconstruction that we're living in. But I think what he has to share is really important, especially for a man of God, somebody who loves the Lord, to be writing this book. It's called The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Endorsement, or Any Man Willing to Show Up. And so whether you're a male or a female, a husband or a wife, whatever, uh, this is an important conversation for you to listen to, either for yourself or for uh, if you're a female out there, for the man that you love. And he's going to talk about why this book is good for all to read, and actually about graduates too, which I thought was pretty cool. So anyways, hey, without further ado, let's go to the story house with my buddy, Brant Hansen. It's finally happening. Brant Hansen, a man who has interviewed me many times because he is a legend in the radio industry, a living one, though. Legends, you know, legend sounds old. You're young, but you're a young legend. And now here we are. We're turning the microphone around and you are a guest on my show. Uh, on a scale of nine to ten, what's your level of excitement to be part of the Matthew S. Pod? Oh, it's in the nine one, nine two <laughs> range, like which is way up there. It's way up so, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the story. You got you forgot. Okay, so are you going back to our origins here? Are we gonna start there? Totally, because okay. we were talking about this before you started rolling, but people need to know this story. So I met Matthew in a completely different idiom. Like so I was in a band, and you'll remember this, but I was in a band in Champaign, Illinois. Oh, yes. It was a pretty good band. It was like this acoustic modern rock thing like with a world beat and stuff. It was really neat, the musicians I was with. Anyway, there was a talent contest that WBGL radio station was putting on, and we were to open up for it just to get some people there. So they had us play, and then we didn't want to sit through all the talent. So, you know, we're just too good for that. So we went upstairs in this old building downtown and we're practicing and we're just doing our stuff. And there's a guy who's walking around the building and he stops and he says to me, you know, like whether it's for practice, he's like, man, you guys are really good. Like someday I hope I can do something like this. And I, I very, it's such a patronizing way. I'm sure I said, you know what, just keep trying, keep practicing, <laughs> keep honing, training yeah, someday. Yeah. Yeah. Someday, perhaps, you can be as good at music as I am. <laughs> and you went on to win that contest, which got you sent to Nashville for something or other. That's right. 
but I didn't know who you were at the time, of course, but it's just so funny looking back that I'm the one telling you, like, you know, you just keep trying, <laughs> young man. Someday you can climb this mountain of music that I've climbed. <laughs> I remember the name of that coffee shop, Jitters and Rush. Jitters and Rush. Yes, that's Gosh, exactly that's right. crazy. So at what point did you put down the music instruments then and wind up being on the other side of uh, being a radio personality? Still haven't. I'm playing still. I play with some guys now. Uh, it's just not a thing I make a big deal out of. It's just purely for fun, pure fun. So, you know, that's all. I got too much other stuff going on. Yeah. I actually felt too old at the time. I was like, I'm too old for this. I don't know if it's 20 something, but I was just like, yeah, I need to get over this. In retrospect, that was kind of dumb. I could have continued to do stuff, but whatever. It all worked out. It's all but was it your love for music, though, that led you to go, okay, I'm not going to play music for a living. I'm going to, but I'm still going to be around it in the form of radio. Or how did, did you sort of, like, how did you wind up becoming nationally syndicated radio show host? I didn't plan to. I meant to, guys, I meant to be a baseball announcer. Serious? You know, yeah, it's because I grew up a huge, I know you're a Cubs fan. I was a Cardinals oh. fan. And I wanted to do it so bad. And for for some reason, it didn't dawn on me. I can't see the ball. I couldn't see the ball when I was playing the game. Like, uh, I went 0 for 8 years. I'm not exaggerating. I never hit. Wait, 0 for 8 years? <laughs> 0 for 8 years. I never hit the ball and got a hit. So I should have quit, but I just didn't. <laughs> That's persistence. Literally in college, it dawned on me, like, how am I going to be a play-by-play announcer if I couldn't even see the ball when I was on the field? <laughs> So you just decided you're better as a baseball fan like me because I wanted to be a baseball player and I I probably went something like oh for eight years too and uh, now we're both (laughs) now we're both totally miles away from baseball and allowed to just be fans. (laughs) Yes, that's what happened and so I wound up being a newsman because I got my degree in journalism at Illinois and then um, I went from there to helping out this Christian station and they they would just leave me on longer and longer in the morning after my news because they thought I was quirky or whatever. And I never wanted to be a host, but I became one against my will. Like I was left by myself on the air and then they, then they syndicated me. And that's, so it's, it's kind of gone from there. You have a gift with your voice. Like when it's on the air, I think people know, Oh, I know that voice. I know who that is. Like the, your favorite singers tend to have that where, you know, it's like, like when Mac Powell started singing a third day song, immediately like one note you knew who that was and i feel like you have that sick not a lot of radio people even people who are full-time in radio that's still kind of rare air did you work on like i know we're going to talk about your book in a second here but did you work on your did you work on your voice in that sense or is that just something you have no the only thing i worked on was trying to correct some of my southern or central illinois <laughs> accent because i have a little bit did of you have one yeah it's a little nasally it's like brant hansen <laughs> people used to call me and so i had to work on that uh, but no i think that's very nice of you to say i don't actually think about that at all i do think it's interesting i think i think you'll think this is interesting like the number of people i run into who are really good on the radio or comedians like i do some stand-up stuff too wow it's timing there's a musicality to it. The number of yeah, the number of really good comedians I know who are also musicians. I don't think it's a coincidence. Really? Yeah, because if you think about it, it's it's, the, it's it's hearing this tonality, and it's there's so much of it that, that is timing and variance of of pitch and all of that. Like you tweak the slightest thing, like a, a tight stand up act, it's not funny. Right. Or you tweak it, and it's hilarious. But it's all about 
the ear. So the same thing goes with radio. I think a lot of that is tied in to music. So I, d- I do think there's a connection there. And you either kind of hear it or you don't. I think that's a great point. And, you know, the other similarity that I, I think is worth acknowledging is like even in just all the different career paths you've chosen, the similarity with a comedian or a musician is like the willingness to put yourself out there is what I observe when I watch your career. Like to go from playing uh, acoustic rock at Jitters and Rush in Champaign, Illinois, to getting a journalism <laughs> degree, but then to get into radio and then to get into and, and even being being audacious enough or, or bold enough to go sports journalism. That's I'm going to be, a you know, just ignoring the limitations you might other people might see about you to go, well, he went over eight years. How could he be a bit? It was like, well, maybe I could like just to put yourself out there. And even now, obviously writing books, which sounds like it's sort of full circle to your your college degree and what you were actually being prepared for in college. But don't you feel like whether you're doing stand up or putting a book out or getting behind the mic on the radio? And for me, going on a tour, doing a podcast, writing a book, we're putting ourselves out there almost foolishly like we have enough blinders on to not even think about what happens if we fail kind of <laughs> i think that's right i don't know what is missing in our heads or if, <laughs> I, I think it i think it is good but you can we we are on the precipice of looking stupid at any moment <laughs> and we have to be okay with that it's like it's like in spinal tap they said there's a there's a fine line between clever and stupid <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Like, I'm, we're always straddling that. So that's you too. I just forced myself to listen to a podcast that just came out the day before we're recording this that I did with Ian Cron. Yeah, the uh, Enneagram guru. I have a vulnerability hangover from that. Yeah. <laughs> what? Do you feel like you overshared or you just, you're probably your harshest critic? Yeah. He literally made me cry. Like, but I am out there. And I feel like it's a blessing to people overall, but I don't always know what I'm doing or or whatever. But I'm like, man, I don't know. Why did he make you cry, though? Was it like, were you getting, is it because you were getting deep or was he just bullying you? (laughs) He was, he literally bullied me into crying. (laughs) I mean, imagine this, imagine this for you. I'm a five on the Instagram, so I'm, I'm not naturally very emotional, I feel like, but I also feel like there's this wall that if I go past it, I'll explode in emotions. Like, wow. so I'm holding it, holding it back. But he asked, now imagine him doing this to you. Like, Brant, if your kids were in front of you right now and you needed to tell them exactly how much you love them, how would you put oh, that? Oh, man. Like, Come on. Come I literally on. was like, don't, I like, don't do this. That's <laughs> like, this is not fair. And he did something which was brilliant, really brilliant as an interviewer. He just said nothing and let me just grapple with the question. Like, he oh, would not. just left no lifeline, just ha- left you out there to find a swim your way through the tears. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 10 minutes of blubbering. That's why I'm so glad I felt the Lord telling me to have today's interview be just one lobbed softball after the other. What's your favorite pizza? What's your favorite color? Thank you. I love that. Well, what's the name of that podcast in case anybody wants to hear what you sound like when you cry? It's the uh, Typology podcast uh, with that's what it's called, Typology. Now, by the way, because you were on the Typology podcast, does that mean you've been an avid kind of um, 
student of the Enneagram as it relates to your your type and your personality? Or were you where are you at on that part of the journey? I've learned from it. And I like the fact that it's self-critical principally. And my wife first learned from it. And so it's just like anything else. And I'm, I'm highly skeptical about all typology systems and categorizations and boxes you can put people in. But it helped me realize some stuff about myself that I want to grow in. And um, the five kind of nails it. And uh, it's almost annoying in its accuracy about what I need to work on. But that's been helpful. And it helps me talk to God about that stuff because I, I do want to grow up. I don't have to be the same person my whole life. Gosh. So, yeah, so it's been helpful. And I don't think you have to be, you know, an all out zealot. <laughs> you don't have to get the <laughs> tattoo and then convert others. <laughs> no, nor, nor like rally people against it. It's like, yeah. uh, it, it's, it's a tool. And just like the Myers-Briggs or something, it's like, yeah, it, it can be helpful. I think what you said about growing up is really important too. Like just how, how often or how many stretches do we experience or allow to happen in our lives where there is just a lack of growth. There's a lack of self-awareness in different, you know, it's like, we're just unwilling to uh, do a sweep of the dark corners of our character or the rough around our edges. And when we do that, it's like if we can fight through the initial shame of, of the awareness that hits us with a typology with a, you know, whether it's a Briggs Myers or for me, it was the Enneagram as well. When I, when I read the description of the three and listened to an interview of a couple threes talking about it on my friend, Annie, Annie F Downs podcast, I remember this kind of washing over me, like the unhealthy part of the three was all of a sudden the most accurate mirror that I had ever really looked into. And and what happens when you don't like that scene that you see in the mirror, your instinct is to quickly turn away and ignore. When we look it in the eye and say, okay, this is the understanding of who I am when I'm unhealthy and how I react. And and do I want to get better? Do I want to change? More importantly, do I believe that God can work that change in me? Am I capable of doing, as you said, growing up? I, I think that's a really important part here that you're sharing at the very beginning. I have to ask God because I realize what the five, it's supposedly, it's, and it totally is. It's about conserving energy. I'm always worried people are going to sap my energy because I'm very introverted. Where I'm, I always am, am like holding on to it so that people don't leave me lying in the street inert with no energy left. Like, wow, you don't put yourself out for people in your life as easily around you. You don't expend. You, so I'm like, God, help me. Like you pray for daily bread. You told us to pray for daily bread. Just give me the resources I need for today. Give me the energy I need socially to get through this day. And then let me be generous with it instead wow. of hoarding it. To me, it's a very practical application. And it's helped me a lot to, to be a, a better neighbor and friend and everything. And not just like, he's going to give me what I need to get through the day. So for me, that's it. For me as a three, you've already taught me more about fives than I've ever really uh, cared to learn because a three just kind of just bulldozes, like doesn't really even pay attention. I, hey, you know, uh, I learned enough about my own number. I'm good. I don't, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Though? I, <laughs> so, uh, yes, I do. I got to tell you, though, like I got a lot of friends that are threes. For some reason, it's a pretty good fit for whatever reason, because they also don't mind me having my opinions about stuff and calling them out directly. And I find that very appealing as a friend, like as a friendship, 
that that works out that way and they can respect my whatever i'm good yes. at you know i've always thought like part of my three could just be that i'm from chicago <laughs> like just just lay it out there man tell me but and so i fully expect you to call me out on something before we're done today okay oh totally i absolutely will absolutely <laughs> hey i'm super impressed by you all the different things that you've done i I want to talk about your new book because I'm super excited about this book and I think it's a book for right now. Real quick, I have to ask you one other thing because you mentioned about stand-up. When you've gone and done stand-up comedy, like, tell me, have you had like a, a train wreck experience? Or because Absolutely. To me, that's the ultimate putting yourself out there. I can't fathom. the. I'll be funny during a show, but there's a song coming. In case my joke's not funny, that song they've heard on the radio will save me. There seems to be no safety net. Tell me real quick about what you like about that. And has there been a train wreck? Oh, dude. Uh, yes. But that's part of the jumping out of the plane experience. This is extreme. It's extreme sport. So <laughs> I tried out some new material. Gosh, was it last fall? Hey, the thing was the room was everybody spread out because at the time that was the rule. So it was sold out, but it wasn't packed in, you know. And they had just even sprayed chemicals to kill the virus or whatever. In the <laughs> right, room. right. Right. Okay, so I got up there, and my wife was there. This is some, where was this? Gosh, Ohio or somewhere. I did my stand-up thing, and my wife was there sitting with a friend over here. And I could see them out of the corner of my eye. And it was going so badly. I was doing so poorly that I was, as I was doing it, feeling sorry for my wife because she was there <laughs> watching me die. And I knew that it hurt, probably hurt her more than it hurt me. But that hurt me. You're carrying the burden of both. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, like, you tell a joke and there's just no response? Or like... I know it was funny, too. I still blame the crowd. It's the crowd's fault. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to leave you alone in your train wreck story. The other night, I did a fundraiser in Florida, and I was following, like, this celebrity chef who was mm -hmm. doing, like, a cooking demonstration, and then the food would be served, and he did some sort of curry dish, and I don't do curry. But this was like a celebrity chef from Food Network, and I was like, I should try what he... So I ate this curry dish, and then it was time for me to go on stage. And I don't know what happened, but by the time I got on stage, my body temperature like <laughs> shot through the roof and I could feel the sweat forming on my head. And all of a sudden, like I'm one song in and I looked like I had just gotten out of the pool. And so the whole time I'm up there, I'm thinking this crowd's wondering why I'm sweating so poor. And then everything I said, like nothing was connecting. Finally, at one point I just stopped and I was like, is it hot in here? And my wife was in the front row too. <laughs> And I knew she was embarrassed for me, so I was wearing that as well. It was, I had, I was counting down the minutes until I was done. It was the worst ever performance I've ever done. So we jump out of the plane, and sometimes, sometimes we hit the, we hit the concrete. Well, we did a little debrief, all of us around the table at Applebee's later that night. <laughs> and my wife, and my wife said, "Yeah, um, you know what? I think you need to do. We're all trying to figure out like what went wrong, or we're all doing like it's like it's like an autopsy." It's it an it autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife said, you know, you probably need to explain, like, at this point in the show, because people associate you with, with whatever, you know, talking about Jesus or, or, you know, I'll pick up the guitar and do some goofy songs. But she's like, you need to tell them that you're now starting a stand-up routine so that they kind of know where to, where to put it. And so I did the very next night, and it killed so you telegraphed it. You had to kind of just lay it out, not assume that they could follow 
Right. Interesting. So because you, you can't just launch it. If you were like talking to friends and you just launched into a full blown routine, it would be weird. It'd be like, dude, what what happened? I actually told the next crowd, like, hey, the crowd last night totally did not get this. They hated it. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna I need to tell you, this is now a stand up comedy routine. <laughs> and then it went. And then it went. <laughs> it went great. I love the idea of the autopsy. You don't know. You know how many times we've done that after concerts. I used to have this this road manager Brant who was like the ultimate optimist, and we would have like we had this stretch where like every concert in a row was just a train wreck. It was terrible, and we'd be backstage doing the autopsy, and he would always come. He'd be the last one in, and he'd like cheer. So he's like, guys. Way to go. We really fought through that one. And about show 10, we're in this minor league hockey stadium, and we're back in the locker room after the show like a defeated minor league hockey team that just got it handed to them. And here comes Josh, our optimist road manager. He goes, way to go, guys. We really fought through that. And I stood up, and I was like, Josh, we say that every time. When can we stop having to fight through it? So the autopsy is real. I will say on that note, you have jumped out of the plane, and my friend, your parachute has opened, and you wrote a book that is not a train wreck. You, you wrote a book that is necessary, and you wrote a book that's for right now. It's called The Men We Need, God's Purpose for the Manly Man, the Avid Indoorsman, or Any Man Willing to Show Up. Now, I can't wait to talk about that subtitle. Now, tell us uh, why you were the man to write a book called The Men We Need. I'm probably not the man, um, but there it is. <laughs> but, but I up and did it, didn't I? There it is. I love um, it. Well, okay, so I'm not an outdoors guy, and I can't, like, I, I don't see well, so I can't hunt. It's safe for the animals, actually, if I hunt. But. <laughs> you and me both. I can't hunt to save my life. I think that's part of it, though, honestly, because there's this there's this idea that you gotta be climbing rocks. Like every every man book practically has a silhouette of some guy climbing a mountain or doing something or. Yeah, like a warrior kind of thing. I think that can be part of being a guy, but that's not the essence of what God wants for us. Like what is what is the boiled down essence? And what about those of us, like I play the flute. What about me? I can't climb rocks. Mm. Well, I maybe mean, I'm more artsy or I don't, I don't hunt, I don't do all that. I don't, last time I was on a motorcycle, I literally hit a parked truck. <laughs> And I'm sorry for I'm laughing. not exaggerating. No, it was in front of a crowd, too, and that's another story. But it's like, well, could it be because you were playing the flute while you were driving? <laughs> I wish that would at least. <laughs> Wait, been do you more... really play the flute, or was that a hypothetical? Yeah, I do. No, I, I seriously do. All right, I'm writing a flute solo into my next record, dude. Yes, that would be an ultimate win. I think that's kind of it. It gives me a little bit of a an angle on it. Because I am coming from this side. That's why I say it's for the avid endorsement too. Like, what is the essence of masculinity? And it's been deconstructed constantly. And I can appreciate the deconstructions because a lot of this, you know, is toxic. It really is. But what's the construction then? Is there something distinctly, you could say that that's distinctly masculine because we know God's image is male and female. Jesus repeats that. It's in Genesis 1. You know, it's, that must mean something. So what is that male part of his image that's beautiful? And uh, I'd like to celebrate that. So I, I'm taking a shot at actually building a construction so that guys can look at it and say, yeah, that's that's right. That's the vision I need for myself. Because otherwise, we're just we're out there just trying to piece puzzle pieces together without seeing the, the box top. I love what you said about deconstruction because we see that happening everywhere, especially with, with matters of faith, and yet we never hear about 
the reconstruction or the building back up from a place of biblical truth, from a strong foundation. And, and so you're right. Like so many people are wondering, okay, well now, now what? And so the question I have is, so it sounds to me like you're looking around, like you're even looking at books for men. And like you talked about the covers being these dominating figures and sort of painting this ideology of what masculinity is and what it means to be a man. And you, was it just something where you sensed an area of need here and felt like I want to go on this journey myself and maybe it can help other people. You know, I was trying to explain it on my radio show, what I think masculinity is. And over the years, my producer, Sherry, who's just a, a brilliant woman, she's a single woman in her forties. Uh, and then there's my wife who have encouraged me to talk about this stuff more because it resonates with younger guys, I guess. But what I keep telling them, like what I kept trying to explain is, Forget all the trappings of what you think masculinity is. Forget the, all this stuff. Think about the job that Adam was given. Specifically Adam, it wasn't Eve. Like Eve was given another amazing job, Azer, the rescuer. Like she's, that's, a, that's a big deal. That word is applied towards God, the rest of the Old Testament. Like, but this keeper of the garden thing, what is it? There's something really resonant about that, that we're, we create this space around us however big that is, but we create the space around us for people to flourish, for the vulnerable to thrive, like, like little species and little blooms in a, in a garden. And we protect that space. And that's our job. And when we fail to do it, things fall apart. When we actually do it, women, I'm trying to tell guys this particular, like women are very attracted to it. When we act, actually do this job, and, I, and I'm saying don't buy this book and do this just to be you know, attractive to women. I'm saying that they intuit who we are when we're at our best. And this keeper of the garden thing just maps onto that perfectly. Everything I see about how women react in public to certain ideas of masculinity, like that's the thing that always clicks with them, including right now with, with Zelensky. Hmm. Ukrainian president. So he's, there's nothing about him. He's a five foot seven ex comedian. There's nothing about him. If you saw him at the tire shop, you wouldn't think anything about it, but he's like the hottest guy on the planet right now. They're, it's, whether it's Le Monde or New York times or whatever, they're talking, women are talking about how incredibly attractive he is. Interesting. Why? Yeah. Cause he's, he's protecting homes and he's saying women and children first. And like, there's something about that. It can become toxic when it's domineering and an I own you and I'm going to do this and that, like right, which we've seen plenty of examples of that. Absolutely, and see, but that's not being a good keeper of the garden. Now you're a threat in your own garden because you people are less secure around you if you're that way. So, what are the specific characteristics that fall under that definition of keeper of the garden? Then I talk a lot about what I was just mentioning about protecting the vulnerable. And making sure that women and children in particular, it could be guys too, but feel secure because you're there. And you do not have to be jacked. You don't have to be great with guns. You don't have to, like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, your words. So to wit, with regard to that, I'm trying to tell guys, like, you can say, you know what? I would defend my home. Of course I would defend my home. If anybody tries to mess with my wife, comes in my house, I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll kill him. Like, okay. The problem is most of the time the intruder is you or me with my words. I can make people feel less secure instead of more. I'm not building them up. I'm like, I'm not actively engaged. I'm too passive or something like that's the threat. And if I'm supposed to be a keeper of this garden, I can't be the one who's actually causing the insecurity in the garden. 
And that takes some engagement arising to the challenge in ways that maybe you, you haven't been thinking of. So there's, that's a couple of, of distinctives, I would say. This is not a book that is necessarily stepping into the argument that's raging in our culture right now about gender. Uh, like there was a there's a more political writer who just put out a book called What is Woman or something. But it's it's a direct attack or or counterattack on on the whole gender discussion right now. You're actually coming at this speaking to men from a biblical perspective with biblical examples helping to reconstruct the definition of what it means to be a man apart from the stereotypes of toxic masculinity. And But have, have people thought that this was something where you were actually stepping in even politically necessarily? I've had friends say you're going to get ripped to pieces and what, and I'm like, okay. But I even say at the beginning of the book, I'm not trying to have that argument. It's not that gender theory isn't worth talking about or like the the effects of it, or whatever, back and forth. Like people can write those those academic treatises and I'm, that's fine, that's great. But at some point, a guy, let's say he's 20, 25 or 50, needs a vision for how he's supposed to, who he is. No one's telling us. So a lot of times women have to fill every role because we have no clue what it is. So someone's gotta say something. So I'm, I, I seriously am like, if people wanna have that discussion, that's fine. I'm just taking a crack at something that I haven't seen other people take much of a crack at, which is again, defining what is distinctly masculine and good. What is the role? Because you can say, well, we're all supposed to be like Jesus. That's true. But is there something when God says his image is male and female, is there something that, does that have some content to it? Like it actually means something. And I honestly think this is it. I like, I'm taking a shot at it. I could always be wrong. What's, you know, of course, but I do think this is it. That's all we're doing is we're exploring the human condition as followers of Christ and, you know, as his creation and diving into scripture and then interpreting it to the best of our ability. I think that's really important. I, you know, I was reading the book anyways, but hearing you say that it, there is a good chance that me kind of taking on the uh, assignments in this book and assuming these characteristics uh, will make me potentially more attractive to my wife, really puts some uh, more emphasis on me to to read this book more quickly, I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hang on, honey, I'm getting, I'm becoming a hot guy. I'm on chapter six. Okay, um, so let me, let, let me talk about that just a little bit, if you don't mind. Because, yeah, please. Because I, I start the book with that. Like, I talk about this poster I saw at the U of I. It was in every girl's room. Like, we were touring the girl's room across the street from our guy's house or whatever the girl's house. And it's a poster that is still the best-selling poster in history. And it's a guy holding a baby. And it was in every girl's room. I was like, what is the deal? And I know the guy's good looking. I get that. But there's a million male models or whatever. Like, right. what is the deal with this poster? And the girls told me at the time, and I've since read this in commentary about this photo called L'Enfant it's by this French guy. It's not the guy, it's the baby. It's the way the baby's looking at him. That's what makes this guy so hot. Of course, I'm like 17 at the time, so this makes an impression. Like, wait, the way the baby's looking at him. Yeah, look how vulnerable the baby is looking up at him, like clearly making eye contact, like, you're going to take care of me, right? And wow. he's looking down at the baby. You don't even see it. It's a profile of the guy. And that was very instructive to me. And, and since I've seen so many news stories, there's like a news story in France where this guy sees a child dangling on the fourth story, fourth or fifth story off a balcony. This, this kid's four years old, hanging on over the street, about to fall and die. Yeah, the dude climbs up 
all the way, like swinging balcony to balcony, this immigrant from Maui. And the crowd is cheering him on. And he gets you know, up one, up two. He's up to the third when he pulls himself up. He gets up to the fourth when he pulls himself up, takes the kid to safety. That guy, like women are dying. Like, oh, he is so attractive. Like, you can't even wow. see him. Wow. You can't see him. It doesn't matter what he looks like. So he's given French citizenship. Like, but the, the remarkable thing is there's two guys in the story, and the other guys, as I mentioned in the, my book, the other guy is inside playing video games. That's the kid's dad. Wow. Wow. Now, are you going to tell me that women find that attractive? Again, I think it says a lot about what we're made for. Like, it's not that there's, there's something cross-culturally that women look at to say, that guy is a source of security. I like that. Yeah, that's powerful. I got to say, if I had been in the one at uh, University of Illinois campus and walking around with you, if I had seen that poster and put two and two together like you did, instead of me thinking about the true definition of manhood, I would have been trying to rent somebody's baby to babysit <laughs> and just hang out in the quad and stand shirtless holding that baby. <laughs> My Absolutely. intentions would have been all wrong. It seems at the start of every new year, I have at least one hiring need for my team. I wonder if you're in the same boat. Maybe you've got some ambitious hiring goals. Well, no sweat because you're not waiting for the right candidates to find you. You're finding them first with Indeed. I love Indeed. And if you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. It's that easy. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need just one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. You find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. And you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash West. That offer is valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash West to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash West. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Guys, I want to tell you about an organization that I am so proud to be partnering with right now. Um, this is an app that's going to help you in a big way. According to New York Times, more than twice as many kids have been exposed to pornography online as their parents even realize. Now, as a dad, that's a terrifying statistic. But Canopy, a new next generation digital parenting app, is here to make the internet safer for kids by ensuring they never see graphic sexual content, even by accident. All right. Canopy blocks explicit images and videos on every single website. Its advanced AI filtering technology works on smartphones, tablets, and computers. To learn more, visit canopy.us slash west and use promo code west at checkout to get 30 days free and 15% off forever. Unfortunately, the internet is full of explicit content, but with Canopy, your internet doesn't have to be. 
Okay, you guys, I think you know that I like my coffee, right? But listen, as we age, the fatigue and lack of endurance that we can feel, it can't always be fixed with more and more caffeine. Trust me, I have gone down that rabbit hole. I have tried. It's not possible. Introducing a new way to start your day, Super Beats Heart Chews. They're a tasty treat. They give you the energy you need, and they're good for you. No more afternoon coffees, energy drinks, or candy for that quick pick-me-up. Add two delicious plant-based Super Beats Heart Chews to your morning routine and promote heart-healthy energy for your day without the dreaded caffeine crash, which is very real. And that's because Super Beats Heart Chews' unique, clinically researched grapeseed extract promotes heart healthy energy and normal blood pressure as part of a healthy lifestyle i've started adding this to my morning routine they taste delicious i kind of want to take more than two but i'm not supposed to but it's been an easy thing to add to my routine and i feel great and i got a lot of energy which is helping me record this podcast with great passion and fire the grapeseed extract used in Superbeats Heart Chews has been clinically shown to be two times as effective at supporting normal blood pressure and that healthy lifestyle. So you got to do that. Do more for your heart right now and treat yourself with Superbeats Heart Chews. For my listeners only, you can get up to 45% off plus free shipping at superbeats.com slash west. Now, this is their best offer available anywhere. You got to check this out. It's superbeats.com slash west for up to 45% off at Superbeats. Dot com slash west. This is what you write about in the book, six different decisions that are going to set men apart from the others. And one of them is forsake the fake and relish the real. As a songwriter, I appreciate your, uh, your word usage there. Um, but can you unpack what you meant by that? Yeah. So a lot of us, I love video games big time. So I can sit and play them forever and not even know that the sun has gone up and then back down and then I haven't used the bathroom or eaten or whatever. But we can throw ourselves into this stuff and it can be pornography and it can be virtual stuff. And I'm not saying this is a guilt trip. Just saying, you really don't want to look back on your life, do you? At 80 or 90, you go, all of my adventures were virtual. My relationships were virtual. And there's a lot of guys that's, that's become the norm. And the ethos in our culture, as you know, is, well, it's always not hurting anybody. And I'm trying to tell guys, I hate to say it to us, but this is all of us. We are hurting people if we don't become who we're supposed to be. Like, you actually do have a purpose. You're given skills. The skills and abilities that you have are for a reason. And for you to not show up, Man. like, there, there's, there are people that who would have been protected who would have benefited from knowing you. There's maybe a woman who would have appreciated particularly having a husband like you if you would have grown up into it, but you're not going to. That does hurt people. We needed you. So I, I want to encourage guys that way. And again, it's, it's, not a, it's not a guilt trip. I know it's hard. It's going to get harder. Have you done the Oculus thing yet? Have you done that? No. Like video games on that? Holy cow, it's so much, so fun. But you can get... You can get lost in it. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. No, it, yeah, it's going to because it pays off with dopamine hits that you don't get in real life. If there's something that you love, but you realize it's like anything. I mean, just anything getting to an unhealthy place, right? Let's talk about video games just even in, in your life as you're writing this book. Because what I, what I just heard you say speaks to me in the sense that I always want to know when somebody's writing a book and delivering it to the world that they're writing on some level, what they themselves needed to, you mean, you went on this journey of discovery because you felt something inside of you going, God, I think you have more for me. God, I think you want to, right? And so I love what you just shared because you shared from first person 
this is how you're choosing to grow. What was a way that you went to work on yourself in that particular area? Well, it's not was, it's is, honestly. I mean, you're nailing it. It is. It's, it's, a li- it's always a live issue. But this is what I'm saying about having a vision about wh- who you're supposed to be. You can't say no to that other stuff unless you replace it with something bigger that you love. You can't. Addicts know this. Like, you can't say no to this if it's replaced with nothing. So having a vision for your life or even... I'm trying to tell guys, go ahead. If you want to be scared of something, be afraid of being 80 or 90 and having wasted your life on virtual stuff and just in your chair. And the same thing goes for you, Matthew. Like, okay, what happens if you do check out? Everything falls apart. You can walk through that. So I'm trying to explain, like, you have something beautiful ahead of you or in life right now. Like, you have to love that more, this vision like hopefully that gets your heart beating a little faster when you realize you're supposed to be a keeper of the garden in your role. So that's the only way you can replace that. That's the only way is to say, no, 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 I know what I really want and I want it bad. And that's, that's this actual role that God's given me. Maybe it's not the perfect analogy, but like there was an old Casting Crown song that talked about the slow fade. You know, it's like the, yeah. we don't necessarily think of what we're missing out on. It's hard to think about being 80 and regretting what you wasted time on and you know what I mean? It's just that I I wrote a song called the beautiful things we miss. And it's like, it's my personal conviction song because it's just like, it says, open up my eyes, Lord, keep me in the moments just like this before the beautiful things we love become the beautiful things we miss. I I think there's an ache inside of me constantly that I don't want to waste my time on lesser things and then wind up looking back with regret, you know, having, um, putting your ladder up against, the wrong building and reach into the top, you know? Right. Okay. So this is something I I was telling guys too, in this book, like we want to stay free agents because we think our culture makes free agency look great. Like always keep your options open. Don't tie yourself down to anything. Like that's the opposite of what will make your life great. I'm telling guys, don't be afraid of making commitments. Be afraid of not making commitments. Wow. Because if you don't, you will have no poetry in life. The only poetry in life is from actually making commitments and binding yourself to people or causes. That's the only time. Otherwise, it's a completely unremarkable life to to keep your options open. Like, you can keep your options open all your life if you want. You can. And you're going to be a very lonely old man. Yeah, to be uh, uncommitted keeps your life unfulfilling. Really? Right, because every great story is about actual commitment and binding yourself. Every single, there is no good story that doesn't feature that. It's always about every great memory that a guy has is being a part of some sports team. So good, or, yeah. Or, or being in the military and going through, like we went through stuff. I couldn't quit. I took a vow. Yeah, commitment to a cause, commitment to people, commitment to others. And that vow keeps you going. Yeah, whether it's military or marriage, like. That's what gives poetry to life is actually surrendering your free agency to, and binding yourself to the right things, not being a free agent. I think most guys get when you talk about it, but it, unfortunately, it's just not out there very much, unfortunately. I feel like this book, for those who pick it up, I feel like there's going to be more than one moment where it's going to feel like you were reading our mail. <laughs> And I mean that in the best way. And you talk about, okay, so commitment. When I think about commitment, I think about spiritual life too. You talk about men, the importance of men. If you want to be the keeper of the garden to to take control of your spiritual life, would you say really that's where it starts? 
Totally. And, but I want to encourage guys, this is not a guilt trip. You better quit being a lazy, why would I, like a lot of us get discouraged, me, me included, because we don't feel God around. I mean, some people do, some people are more emotive, they, they feel like, but church culture is kind of set up around creating experiences that are feeling oriented. And a lot of people, some women too, it's not just guys, but can get discouraged because you don't feel that. I feel like maybe maybe God's left me behind or I'm too much of a sinner. I mean, I know what I'm caught up in. Maybe he's given up on me or something. I'm just, I'm out. And what I'm trying to tell guys is actually, you know, it's some good news. Jesus doesn't talk much about emotions. In fact, the Bible doesn't really, not much. It's not that emotions aren't valuable. I mean, they're, they're good servants, you know, they're not good masters, but they're there. He does talk a lot about, and the Bible's full of this word for Believing loyalty, 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 has said, steadfast, loving kindness. And so what I'm trying to tell guys is, look, I'm a sinner, present tense. But you know what I keep doing is I keep going back to God every day, and I keep talking to him about what's going on, about what we're doing today together, asking him to help me grow up. What I see him is encountering all the characters in the Bible where he actually honors that engagement. Like you just keep showing up with him. Just keep turning your attention to him. Don't be don't walk away ashamed because you're caught up in something. Like he knows, you know, you can talk about that, but don't don't leave. And the truth is, a lot of guys, they get loyalty. They get it. Like that's something we understand. So I'm saying whether your emotions are there or not, I don't I don't often feel God around to say the least. Like it's just, but I just keep coming back. I know he's true, and I also know he's changing me. So I just keep banging away at the loyalty thing, like instead of walking away in shame. So that when I say take control of your spiritual life, I'm telling guys, like, only you can do that. You have this chance. It's not a guilt trip. It's an opportunity. You have this chance starting now to be his understudy. So go ahead and do it and live life with him together and keep keep interacting with him. I love that because shame, shame can drive us to one of two places. It can drive us to our knees, to a beautiful place of confession and the realization of scriptures like Lamentations 3.23, which is the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. When How often is his mercy new? Praise God every single morning. And I love what you said about being a sinner present tense. Like we know who we are. God knows who we are. We know what we're capable of. God knows what we're capable of. And he is the only perfect love that can cast out all of our fear of being unloved, of our fear. So we can, it can drive us to our knees, Brant, or it can drive us to turn away. And the enemy can use the shame in our lives to push us even further into the virtual places where we don't have to deal with the reality of who we are and we forget about who we can become. And so I love the encouragement here that this is not a shame-based message. Hey, get your crap together, guys. No, no, no. It's like, but no one can do this for you. It's a chance. It's an opportunity. So I don't want to miss it. It's really good. It's a good thing. I, I came across, I just started really memorizing scripture the last year, like really getting into it as an adult. And so in Psalms, I think it's 148, it says, this is the King James Version, but I like the King James best on this. It said, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the ways wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto you. But I like the beginning of that so much, like, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. 
So I go out, walk my dog, and I, I'm literally saying that scripture right back to God. Like, let me see your loyalty to me again, because I know I'm a sinner. But, okay, what's our business today together? And, uh, yeah, so I, I, it's been good. I've been growing. When you're too busy hearing his kindness and his loyalty and his love, uh, there's there's less room to hear the unfriendly voices, the uh, angry voices that are pushing us to focus on our shortcomings. And where you know, yeah, yeah, it's less discouragement. You become a different person. That, that's a good. That's good news for the people around us too. Oh man, this is so good. You talk about like, hey, taking control of your spiritual life. Um, you want to be a keeper of the garden. There's a spiritual. Um, foundation that has to be built. I ask every guest on my podcast when that first, if you can recall and maybe relive for just a moment, the first moment where your faith became real to you, before your discovery of the definition of the keeper of the garden, before you wrote the men we need, before, you know, maybe you were making music at, at a coffee shop in Champaign, Illinois, or a college student, or just trying to figure out, you know, what you're doing with your life. But that moment where it's like, ooh, something's, I feel like he's knocking at the door of my heart and it's my time to say, it. I call it my blue couch story because I was on a blue couch watching a Billy Graham crusade where for the first time it wasn't mom and dad talking to me, but man, Jesus was pursuing me. And my answer was yes. Can you take us to that moment for Brant Hansen? I'll take you to a moment if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anyone that comes to mind. I had something really weird happen. I think I wrote about it in this book. I wrote about it in a book. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> So this is so weird, it's embarrassing. Like, so I have an idea about how God works. This is as an adult. We moved to South Florida. I was working at Way FM as a morning show producer, sidekick. I remember. Yeah, and um, I think I made 39K a year, and I, my wife stayed home with the kids. So in South Florida, it's tough. We could only afford one vehicle. So she had to get up super early. So I was on the morning show, give me, like, leave the kids in bed, lock up the house. Like, we didn't feel good about that, but she had to drive me to work in the dark. So anyway, I'm out, I'm out running one day, and I rarely prayed out loud. I rarely prayed much, honestly. I've never been great at praying, just getting better lately. But anyway, I'm praying. I see this guy drive by in a Jeep with his boy, who's about my boy's age. And I was like, asking God, God, could you give me a car? I need a car. Like, I'm tired of having one car. And while you're at it, can you make it a convertible? As a joke, I was sarcastically praying. <laughs> because I don't even theologically agree with that prayer. Like, it'd be like, yeah. you don't just, I'm not a name it and claim it. I don't right. do that. It's so, out of my, it's so out of my theology, out of my idiom. And it was literally a joke. I joked, sarcastically prayed out loud. And before the end of the day, somebody gave me a convertible. Oh, come on. I'm not kidding. It was out of nowhere, dude. It was completely out of nowhere. That night, I was driving back after this guy who I had just met was like, God's telling me that we just got a gift of a new minivan. I've got three cars. Do you need a car? And do you mind if it's a convertible, he said? And I was like, what? <laughs> so I That's go to his house. Moment. I go to his house. I'm picking up the car, and he's emptying like the tapers. He, for some reason, he's not freaked out by this. I was like, "Do you understand? I prayed for this today." And he's like, "Okay, well, it's signed here and here. You know, here's your title. Here's your." I was driving home with the top down. I get home. The kids aren't asleep yet. They're in bunk beds, and I go upstairs. And they're in their pajamas. I'm like, "Kids, I want you to remember what just happened for the rest of your life. Like, you know how we need another car." I asked God for a convertible today. 
Man. I want you to get out of bed and come downstairs. We're gonna go outside. Oh my gosh. And we got in the convertible, all four of us, they're in their pajamas, but it's top down, Florida night, stars in the sky, driving around. I'm like, I want you to remember this. Un unbelievable. It is, because it didn't agree with my theology. I mean, his sense of humor, it's like, it's the weird thing where C.S. Lewis talks about when you're a kid and you're playing with a rope underneath the door and you're pulling on it, and then suddenly you feel a tug on the other side, like, whoa, there's somebody there. Wow. That's inexplicable. Like, that blows my mind that that happened to this day. And every time I started that car for like the next six years, I had that car. Every time I started, I'm like, I can't believe I have the car. <laughs> like, yeah. So what did that do? What did that do for your faith from that moment on? It tells me that God will not be reduced to a formula. It tells me that he doesn't care what my theology is about putting him in limits. Um, it tells me he has a sense of humor. And it tells me he wants me to interact with him. To like be gut level honest with him as, as a, he called Abraham his friend. I can be his friend. So people listening to this can be like, oh, so I know how to get a free car. Now. Like, that's just it. See, he won't, he, he's not a formula. Oh, so you didn't start asking for a G5 after that? <laughs> That's funny. See, a, a formula is a magic spell, right? Yeah. He's yeah. not a magic spell. No, he's, he will, he's, a, he's not confined by that. No. no. I love that. It tells me, too, that he the way he pursues each of us uniquely, the way he wants us to know that he is for us and not against us, the way he does know the plans that he has for us to prosper and not to harm us and plans to give us a hope in the future. I love that. I love that reminder that it's it's almost like your book is talking about the men that we need are, and are called to be, but you're also reminding us of the God that we need and that he is the supplier of all of our needs. And so... Building that foundation and, and making the commitment to grow up. You're not saying grow up in a Dr. Phil sort of way. No offense to Dr. Phil, but he's. if you ever hear a guy like that talk sometimes, it's like, come on, get your head out of your butt, blah, blah, blah. You know what right, I mean? It's right, like right, right. It's, you're just pointing to this going, hey, I'm on this journey. I want to grow up. I want to live a life that matters. I want to be the keeper of the garden for my family and the world around me. And... What helps me and empowers me to do that is to know that there's a God. He's the God that I need on a daily basis who will provide for me and he will help me grow and be patient with me and loyal along the way. Praise God for that, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And um, the neat thing, too, is any guy can do this. So you don't have to be... You don't have to be jacked. I mean, I, okay, I am jacked, but that's not the point. Yeah. The point is, well, you guys like you and me are the exception, right? But, <laughs> right. So we don't want you to be discouraged. We yeah. realize not everybody's going to have abs like this. We get that. But but the point is, no matter what your skill, like I get to use words. You get to use words. Yeah. To be a keeper of the garden, and I, I get to like work with Cure. So mainly that's words. What I do for these hospitals, but these are little kids that are. The, the most vulnerable people on the planet. And God is using me like to expand my garden area where I can, I can allow them to bloom and flourish. Like how, how sweet is that, that God will take whatever we got, you know? This is Cure International, right? Yes, cure.org. And so it's beyond under your roof. It's beyond the four walls of your home. Yeah, I think this will happen with any guy where it'll ripple outward. And you don't have to be married either. Like your neighborhood should be safer because you're there. I mean, there's like... You just think, how can, how can the vulnerable flourish around me? How can I help them? It's whatever good, my Brent. job is, whatever I do, and God will use us for that. So for me, it's, that's pretty cool for being a guy that's not doesn't have all those things going for him. But look what God will do 
He's the guy who's never gonna, never gonna shoot a buck. He went zero for eight years in baseball, <laughs> but he's exactly the guy that that God had planned to write this important book, "The Men We Need." And uh, Brand, I don't know if anybody told you, but it is a scientific fact that being on this show increases your sales by one million copies. So I just Whoa. want to co- congratulate you already on what's about to happen. Hey, <laughs> not my glory, man. <laughs> Uh, no, in all seriousness, the men we need, God's purpose for the manly man, the avid endorsement, or any man willing to show up. I want to thank you for being willing to show up to write this book that is clearly a first-person journey, and I think that's why it'll resonate with so many other men and women, because I think a lot of women are going to be buying this book reading it on behalf of their men and then passing it to their husbands because they want to be more attracted to their husbands as well. So this is a, <laughs> this is a win-win. And graduations are a good excuse That's to right. give this away. And uh, even eighth grade, I would recommend. Uh, but high school, college. It's a good read for uh, students as well. Well, I mean, I'm biased, but I wrote it because I was wound up about this. Like, I would like guys to encounter these ideas at all ages. Do you think there would be like a youth version or did you write it in such a way where you feel like this is the version for? I think they will eat it up because I start with the first chapter being about that poster. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give this book to my daughter's prom date. That's for sure. Do I'm it. Buying a book and your that. daughter, which she's already got you, but like for her to have an idea, oh, this is what men are supposed to be. Like, Gosh, yeah. I've had women who self-identify as feminists who have read this and really liked it. That's important. I've had guys that are coming from a different angle, and they are like, yeah, this. I think that's it. I think that's what it's supposed to be. So That's so good, Brant. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, man. I was driving into a radio station the other day visiting. I was doing an interview, and they were playing Grace Wins. And I was listening to it, and I love that song. Thank you. But it struck me during the bridge. I'm like, that's Rich Mullins. <laughs> Like in the in the lyrical approach? Yes. Yeah. He's one of my favorites. Wait, are you are you accusing me of copyright? No, no, not a pleasure. Oh, okay. No, no, no. No, in the best way of just saying to me it was Rich Mullen's level too. It's not like he's this untouchable whatever, but he he is one of my all time faves. And mm, me too. That's high praise. But it was goosebumps in the same way. It was the same kind of kingdom and not necessarily the normal cadence for the genre where I don't know it, it was it was seamless but but to me I was like that's that's what I'm talking about wow so, Brent. Uh, that's high praise what's your favorite uh, rich Mullins lyric go there's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own <laughs> how about uh Faith without works is like a song you can't sing. It's about as useless as a screen it's door. It's about as useless as, as a, a screen door on a submarine. submarine. Or how about you? Faith without works. <laughs> or you have been my king of glory. Yes. Won't you be, be my, my prince, prince of peace? One time uh, before Rich Mullins passed, I was a kid. I got to go see him in concert, and he was at this church. The, more than the music, I remember he did this thing where he made it rain in the room. Yeah, and not right, like not right. like an NFL football player makes it rain at a club. I'm talking about like, do you remember? The, I don't know if you ever saw it, but he would have one section of the crowd like pat on their leg yep. and the other section. Yep. And it, I don't know why, but it moved me so deeply. 
it's the strangest things that we remember, isn't it? Like, uh, I don't know. It just was so special. I just saw a crowd doing that for whatever reason. I think this happens to everybody. But you go through a month of your life where suddenly all you can do is think about Toto's Africa. <laughs> God bless the man. Africa. <laughs> but there's a there's a video of this choir and they're doing that where they're doing the this thing and yes. they start to do the yeah and then it starts into the bum 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 but that took me back to the Rich Mullins thing. Yes, so. he used to do that, man. Well, I appreciate those <laughs> kind words. Um, I, I tell you what, so everybody listening to this, we're gonna go find a Brand Hansen stand up routine to attend. We gotta check that out. We're gonna listen to you on the radio. We're gonna visit Cure.org to find Thanks. out about yeah. the great ministry that you're involved in and we're going to pick up a copy of the men we need we're going to post a link at the official podcast page which is matthewwest.com slash podcast it's also in the show notes and uh, i'm going to be for those who follow me on instagram and facebook and all the things i'll be posting a link to click on so you'll have many opportunities to pick up this book i love that you highlighted about as we're heading towards graduation season very important and uh, this will be a great read for that graduate lord knows we need voices like this gosh i sound like an old dude saying Lord knows we need a uh, <laughs> with all the with all the negative voices out there. We're thankful for Brand Hansen. <laughs> so, so not just not just old, but in the South. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I just went <laughs> for some uh, reason. Hey, uh-huh. I don't. Know. <laughs> uh, Brand, you're the man, dude. I am so glad thanks. we got to do this, and uh, totally. thanks for sharing today, and thanks for sharing what you've shared in this book. It's an important book for right now, and uh, I'm I'm excited. Thank you, brother. Thank you, man. All right, it's time for songs from the Story House. We just came out of Easter. And I know I've already featured this latest song that I've released, but my friends at K-Love Radio called me up and they said, hey, we've got an idea. We want to make Me On Your Mind a movement for Easter. And we want to encourage people to think about the lyrics of that song and to realize how personal the message of the gospel is. And I was so moved by that because I've been sharing this song from the stage and sharing with people that the gospel will not become real to you until it becomes personal to you. When you read John 3, 16 and realize that when it says, for God so loved the world, that means you. The world means you. The world means me. That if you were the only one, I've heard evangelists say this kind of thing, and sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other, but if you were the only one on this earth, Jesus still would have stretched out his arms and laid down his life on a cross to pay the price for your sins, for my sins. Man, that's the wonderful Savior we serve. So I thought I would share today in Songs from the Story House this little uh, piece that was put together by myself and my friends at K-Love, and I hope it moves you today as we still have Easter on our minds, Resurrection Sunday on our minds, the sacrifice that was made by Jesus on our minds. Uh, May that stay on our minds and in our hearts forever and always. I want you to check this out. You probably know the story already. It goes like this. It starts with a group of friends sharing a meal, breaking bread, enjoying each other's company. But he knew those friendships would be broken that very night. He would be lied to, denied, and sold out by the very men who surrounded him. But he celebrated with them anyway. Why? What was he thinking? In the garden, he's at his very lowest while crying through blood-stained tears. His friends are asleep, and then, One comes to arrest him, but he loves them anyway. Why? 
What could possibly be in his mind to show such overwhelming grace? He set up in illegitimate trials. He slapped, beaten, cursed, mocked, and spat upon. But through it all, he turns the other cheek. Another mock trial and his own people choose a common criminal over an innocent king. But he remains quiet and accepts their false judgment. Why would he do that? Why would he choose to endure this? The soldiers do their worst. They whip, they scourge, they mock and defile him. They laugh while he bleeds, and he takes it all without complaint. He doesn't beg for mercy or curse them back. Why? What on earth was he thinking? The long walk to his execution begins. He carries the heavy timber up a dusty hill. The nails pierce and tear his flesh. His agony is excruciating. But the worst part is that his source of strength, his father, feels so far away. He is willingly doing this. He doesn't have to take on this pain. He could stop it all right now if he wanted to. But he doesn't. Why? What was he thinking? He did it because we were on his mind. I'm Matthew West, and this Easter weekend, we celebrate the God who has you and me on his mind. I've read the words in red How you leave the 99 To find the one missing Feels like that was written With me on your mind And the prodigal son who ran Leaving his home behind The part where the father came running to meet him Did you say that with me on your mind? Who am I that the king of the world would give one single thought
You're preparing a place where the sorrows erased, and when I stand before you, I'll find all along it was me. He's my dad and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment's called Dad Vice. He is my dad and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Vice. Dad, thanks for joining me. Um, we have just come through the Easter season, and obviously, we are soaking up and giving thanks during that Easter season for the gift of forgiveness, for the gift of grace. Throughout the first few months of the year, we've been focused on how do we keep first things first? And really, this is a theme we could carry on throughout the entire year. Yeah. You know, uh, we want to keep first things first, not just at the beginning of the year, not just as a some sort of a failed attempt at a New Year's resolution, but Matthew six thirty three: seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So as we put God first, it should impact how we live our lives. It should impact our character, our integrity, and it should impact how we approach not only the forgiveness we've been offered by God, but the forgiveness that we are called to offer to others. So let's talk about that today. Yes, uh, we're going to talk about the challenge to forgive, and it's all wrapped up in a great story, a powerful one. John 8, 7, Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And in John chapter 8, the whole chapter 8, a part of it, we find a woman caught in adultery. The scribes and the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, so they brought a woman caught in adultery to him and asked if she should be stoned like it was written in the law, or we could say the first stone here. But Jesus knew what they were up to, and he did not answer them, but stooped down and wrote in the sand. I I don't know about you, but when I read that, sometimes I wonder just uh, exactly what did he write in the yeah. sand there. But here's three takeaways. One, it's easy to pick up stones. We are prone to accuse and judge others. It's easier than seeing our own sins or our flaws. And considering how Jesus has forgiven us, again, uh, can we hold back from throwing stones at others. Matthew 7, Jesus said, why do you pick the splinter out of your brother's eye and ignore the log in your own eye? Two, don't throw stones. It's easy to pick up stones, but when you do, don't throw them if you're tempted to pick them up. 
We want to be the first to throw a stone. Jesus said we can if we are without guilt or without sin. Luke 6, 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Thirdly, drop the stones. We need to realize that other people's sins are not ours to judge. Jesus used this incident to show forgiveness to the woman. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. By dropping stones, we are saying, God, I am not their judge and jury. I can't convict or forgive sins. And I need to be challenged on that every day, not to uh, pick up stones, not to throw stones, and to drop the stones. And then James 4.12, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And here's a great instruction on how to respond when someone sins. I end with this, Galatians 6.1, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you to be tempted. Jesus, thank you for giving me this and let forgiveness be in my heart for others. That's awesome. It's easy to say amen to messages like that. It's way harder to carry that out in our daily lives, but we need that reminder. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. All right, guys, that is our show for today. Thanks to Brant Hansen for joining me. Great conversation, great book. Uh, Be sure to check out The Men We Need, all right? That's uh, his latest book. We're going to post a link at matthewscom slash podcast. Thanks to my dad as well for a great message with Dad Vice. I hope that encourages you. If our ministry can be serving you in any way, or if you'd like to partner with our ministry by becoming a monthly giving partner, uh, we would love to welcome you. Our ministry is supported by uh, just people who want to step out and be about a cause greater than themselves. If that's you and you'd like to join us, please do. Or if you just want to reach out to us for prayer, you can go to popwe.org today. That's P-O-P-W-E dot org today. All right, uh, listen, we'll see you on tour, brandnewtour.com. We will see you every Wednesday for Quiet Time on Instagram and Facebook. We'll see you right back here uh, next week for another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. Thank you guys so much for letting this be part of your lives. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for every guest, and I'm so excited to see what God continues to have in store for this podcast, hopefully pointing you towards the direction nowhere else but to the one who can change your life. Now go make the most of the one life you get. No regrets, no what ifs. It's your story for his glory. Can I get an amen? See you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.